irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. I want to thank you for joining my guest and I today. This is episode 171. If you don't know me, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I practice as an intuitive psychotherapist. I have offices in both Los Angeles and New Orleans, as well as I conduct phone, Skype, and FaceTime sessions with clients worldwide. I'd love for you to reach out to me if you're interested in working together. My website is nolatherapy.com. It's the abbreviation for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy. You can also find me on social media through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at NOLA Therapy. And I would love if you join my email list. I have my first book coming out in 2020 with Inner Traditions. The topic has to do with healing our core wounds through empathy and self-forgiveness based on the astrological uh, placement of Chiron in your birth chart. So if you go to that link to join my email list, I'll be able to reach out to you at the right time before my book comes out. Okay, my guest today, I am so excited because in just a few minutes, we are going to be with David Ritz. David is a Grammy Award winner. He is a New York Times bestselling author. His career spans 50 years. If you're at a computer and want to jump on the web, his website is ritzwritz.com. And David is a songwriter. He has collaborated with artists such as Janet Jackson. He co-wrote Sexual Healing with Marvin Gaye. David has authored, co-authored, and ghostwritten 55 biographies, autobiographies, and numerous articles with music's most inspirational artists. And this is an abbreviated list of those that he has worked with. Ray Charles, Marvin Gaye, Smokey Robinson, B.B. King, Aretha Franklin, Etta James, Jerry Wexler, Grandmaster Flash, Buddy Guy, the Neville Brothers, Willie Nelson, Janet Jackson, Lenny Kravitz, Michael Jackson, and Rick James. Today, we are discussing his memoir titled The God Groove, A Blues Journey to Faith, where David very openly and authentically shares his own journey of faith from being raised Jewish to finding and embracing Christianity over many years of his writing and time spent with these artists that I list and really feeling and experiencing the divine, experiencing the love of God through this music. He chronicles his journey of recovery from addictions that we'll discuss, his 50-year marriage to his wife, Roberta, navigating his fluid sexual orientation, and that, that just really bedrock of a strong relationship. They have two daughters, one's a writer, one's an educator, David has subsequently lost his parents and just is so openly transparent about how all of these experiences have shaped him and his faith. And before David comes on to speak with us, we have a little clip of a song that he co-wrote 
with Howard Hewitt titled On and On that you're welcome to play at the station. and dreams for you to understand what this means I shall explain I stood all the jealousy and all the bitching too yes I forget it all David welcome hi hey uh, just just before we begin, I just want to say what we heard wasn't the song I wrote with Howard, but was a um, a gorgeous song written by uh, Marvin Gaye called Just to Keep You Satisfied, which was covered by Howard. Uh, but I am, <clears throat> I was extremely happy to hear it because <laughs> I, I love it. So okay. it was a great kind of error. Thank you for that. I wanted to set the stage interviewing you. You have such a rich and long history. I wanted to do something different to like. Well, welcome I appreciate you that. And... Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for being with us. It's really an mm -hmm. honor. All right. So, where would you like to start us on your memoir and this journey of of writing about yourself versus writing about other people? Well, I guess um, you know. Just before we came on the air, you were asking me whether it was easy or hard, and I was began to talk about how it was easy uh, to do this book. Um, and I think the reason was it it was easy because I didn't have to interview anybody but me. Mm. And um, I have been interviewing other people, trying to get them to be candid and forthright and introspective about their own life for so many years that by the time it came to me, I kind of knew what to do. And, um, um, I was also interested in hearing my own, uh, voice because, um, when you ghost write, which is my main job, uh, when you, um, ghost write, you channel a voice, which isn't yours, but is yours in that it's coming through you so that in other words let's say you and i both ghost write the same person we have two different ghost written uh versions of the book your version will be much different than mine because it'll come through you and mine will come through me so any if and for all these years i've been channeling voice and intrigued by that process, and I was curious to see what it would be like to hear my own voice. And I was also kind of curious to see how candid I would be and and um, whether I would be scared to reveal certain things about myself yeah. or all that kind of stuff. But in the when it happened, I think I wrote the book probably in two or three months, it just all kind of uh, fell out of me, and I didn't really have any apprehensions. Now, much of that may be due to the fact that I'm old, and 
don't care <laughs> uh, <laughs> what people think. I mean, I do care what people think. Everybody cares what people think. But I mean, I'm comfortable, you know, with who I am. And I'm certainly comfortable with talking about my journey. And I thought it was important for me to describe my journey, not only for my children and my grandchildren, but also because there hasn't been lots of books. As a matter of fact, I don't really know of any book about what it's like to be a ghost uh, mm-hmm. writer. And, yeah. um, and um, I thought maybe it might be helpful for someone who's interested in being a ghost writer. And then there was the other aspect that was important to me to describe, which is my own journey to um, faith, which is, I think, peculiar or at least sort of different, um, though everybody's journey is is different. Um, and I wanted to see what that would look like on the page. And so, uh, you know, it was it was kind of a joyful uh, process to write the book, and I didn't really struggle. But I don't usually struggle generally as an author. I write pretty easily and quickly and fluently. And I think it's because um, my main kind of template is improvisational jazz. So I feel mm-hmm. like I'm I'm sort of making it up as I go along and I'm, uh, I'm riffing and I'm making music as opposed to trying to be Ernest Hemingway or Leo Tolstoy. <clears throat> and um, so the idea of embracing um, uh, jazz as my template has been extremely, extremely helpful to me. And um, um, so I think that's one of the reasons I've been so prolific um, is that on one hand, I take my writing very uh, seriously, and on the other hand, I do not, uh, which is to say it's just another book. It's another um, solo. Um, there'll be some pretty notes in the solo. Um, you may enjoy it. You may not enjoy it, but... Um, I'm not going to. Um, I'm not going to agonize over it, and I think lots of that. Lots of authors agonize. Um, I don't. I just sort of let it go, and mm-hmm. um, it'll be what it'll be, and it'll go wherever it goes, and it'll always be imperfect, and and that's okay. And um, so you know, that's my general attitude. You know, one of the reasons I was looking forward to interviewing you is because your book, which I found so compelling, I felt as if I was with you in the homes of the artists that you interviewed and often spent years with. And you were so transparent about your reactions to them and their reaction to you and your own your own parallel process, the way you can write about all the layers of experience that we Mm -hmm. have going on in a given day and really draw out each line of what's going on with you emotionally, physically, spiritually, sexually, 
even when they conflict. And then engaging, yeah, you're welcome. Engaging as a husband, as a father, Mm -hmm. as a writer, and then Mm -hmm. your own time alone, just all these multidimensional experiences going on at once. As a therapist, I just found it so exciting and just well Well, articulated. Keep this in mind, and I tell you this as a, uh, I I mean, this is me talking to you, the therapist. Um, I've been um, probably in therapy of one kind or another beginning at age 10 for my speech impediment. So, I mean, I am really the product of all kinds of psychotherapy, uh, different modalities, um, some of which I look back and think to myself, you know, was that useful or was that mm-hmm. jive? And but but it's all good. I mean, in that um, I've always believed in self-reflection, and I've always be. Uh, can you hold on one second? I got yeah, my dog is barking. I, I gotta hear. let my dog out. I apologize. Yeah. It's okay. Those of you listening, thank you for tuning in with us. I'm super stoked to be talking to David Ritz today. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Anyway, we were talking about uh, psychotherapy and... um, you know, I used to think I used to con I used to condemn myself as psych- you know as being kind of a lifer in psychotherapy and self reflection as a form of ego or narcissism and all that. But I, but I, you know, I no longer do that. I mean, I think that kind of self condemnation isn't very useful, particularly when I see that the big arc of this, the big projection of this story or the big arc of this story of me in psychotherapy or me as a self-reflecting person talking to other people about my lives and paying professionals to do so has led me out of myself Mm -hmm. rather than further into myself, by which I mean it's been part of the process of bringing me to, you know, what I would call God or the source of love or that which is much larger than my own consciousness. And, and so, um, I'm, you know, I'm kind of grateful to my mom and dad who were big believers in, uh, therapy and encouraged me and, had me go early, um, though it's turned out much differently than I would have ever anticipated. Yeah. 
You know, I also enjoyed David on this theme of self-discovery going, going, being inwardly reflective versus outwardly engaged that your own process of authenticity, accepting yourself and the artists that you wrote about, you know, the, the various degrees to which they struggled with self-judgment and criticism and the use of prayer and spirituality to help Mm -hmm. with their Mm -hmm. own woundedness. And then for you to find recovery through 12 step programs and community, I just thought that was such a beautifully laid out well, I appreciate that. And, and yeah. of course, that's, that's a critical component because I think moving from individual uh, therapy, which of course is a private encounter, the door is closed, you're paying a person 150 or 200 or whatever you're paying them an hour, and they're your employee in a certain sense, they work for you or you're paying them, um, is is one paradigm, but going into a community where there is no money involved, where they're all amateurs in the sense of the word Mm -hmm. of amateur being sort of love is the um, heart of the matter and which you have to get up and announce, you know, I'm an alcoholic or a coke addict or a um, sex addict. Mm -hmm. And getting to talk in an hour meeting for maybe five or six minutes and having to sit and listen to other people for for 55 uh, minutes is a much, much different um, kind of um, experience than I I had ever had before. And of course, the irony about the 12-step things for me is that, um, and I'm not an orthodox, I I mean, I, I, I don't really subscribe to fundamentalism or uh, right or uh, literalism um, in any way uh, but so that I mean I don't think you have to work the steps I think you can work the steps I think there's a million ways to work the steps I think you have to ask yourself what are the steps and all that so I mean I don't believe in the absolute universe of 12-step programs. I think it works for a lot of people. I think it may not work for lots and lots of people, but the point I wanted to make about it was that one of the good things about it was that, you know, you get to call God whatever you want to call God. And though the program was begun by evangelical um, Christians during the Depression, um, I didn't really know that until I got into it. And then when I got into it, I read about the origins of AA and saw that it's sort of based on uh, Christian uh, love ethos. And that got me more and more interested in Christianity, which I was interested anyway because of African-American music. So the two kind of coalesced and took me deeper into what became um, a Christian um, devotion. Um, But I've always liked the irony of being drawn to Christianity by a program that refused to use the um, language of Christianity. In other words, there's, there's no talk of Jesus in the 12 steps. Um, and yet to me, it's all Jesus, you know? So, um, 
and I wouldn't change that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I think that's one of uh, the uh, really, really brilliant parts of the program that they don't insist upon uh, specific uh, lexicon. Um, and in the very same way, I don't think the word Jesus is for everybody. I mean, it, 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 some people come to it with a history that's going to prevent them from ever embracing the word. And so that's not very important to me. I mean, what is important is, you know, what is the spirit, you know, of Christ. And if you embrace that spirit, you are embracing that spirit. And if you want to call it um, glue or wood or overcoat, I I don't care. Um, So anyway. You know, I I see the spirit of Christ in most traditions to come down to forgiveness and, Mm -hmm. and atonement. And one of my favorite sections of your book is when you were with Etta James and she would often pray with you and even her relationship to God, like, God, you know, I'm taking these pills. I don't need. And, and it's her relationship was so close to spirit yeah. and, and how as open as you are in your writing, in your book about sex addiction, about drug mm-hmm. addiction, the one thing that was the hardest until the end for you to say out loud was that you're a Christian and you wanted yeah. to adopt those beliefs. And then Janet Jackson is at your baptism and your wife, Roberta, who I felt like was right there in the narrative. Like, I feel like I know her from your book was, was concerned and worried, um, for various reasons. And, and yet like this self-soothing, I think for you always being so ambitious and driven and just taking on these projects that there wasn't a lot of gentleness with yourself. And I see your spirituality kind of gave you that soft landing spot. I appreciate love. that. I haven't really uh, thought about it that way, but now that you mention it to me, that kind of um, um, helps me. I um, like that idea. Uh, awesome. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I, You're welcome. I think that um, the fear of calling oneself a Christian, or at least the fear with me was, you know, pretty much cultural because I'm, you know, extremely Jewish. I'm proud of being Jewish. My, my, uh, um, dad was, you know, Jewish and intellectual and comes out of a, of, of a very strong, uh, Jewish intellectual tradition. Um, uh, you know, I think I'm part of that tradition. Um, and I have great identification, with, you know, Jewish authors and Jewish humor and the whole thing. And so the Christ business is always kind of creepy and Mm -hmm. Jesus is always creepy and, and getting past all that. Of course, it took me a long, you know, I was baptized when I was um, 60 years old. So, I mean, it took my entire, I mean, it took those many years to uh, embrace what I thought was um, a gospel of, of, of um, love, but had, as you had said before, had I not encountered these author, uh, these um, stars and musicians, I don't think I could have gotten there because 
the nature of my job. And that's the other beautiful thing about being a ghost writer. If you're just an author, I mean, I don't mean just an author. It's, <laughs> it's great being an author and there's a jillion authors I admire and I learn from all the time. But if you're an author, uh, chances are you aren't spending all your time listening and trying to channel other people. And if you're a ghost, right, that's all you do. And yeah. to be good at it, you really have to be quiet. And you really have to elicit uh, intimacy. And you really have to try to get to the heart of the person you're talking to. And you have to show them uh, um, love and respect. And so you're trying to create an ambience of love. And, and, and so that finally, when that's created, when you've created this environment of goodwill and love and trust, and if the person does have religious um, depth, that's going to come out. Mm-hmm. And when it came out in the form of Etta James or Marvin Gaye or Smokey Robinson or a lot of other people, it got all over me, in other words, because for me to be a good interviewer, I have to interview with my heart. My heart has to be open. Um, it can't be mechanical or perfunctory. Mm-hmm. And so I got to benefit from their um, faith and like I said it got all over me and and I began to understand in real time without having to struggle with a church or a preacher or an institutionalized religious thing which has its own challenges but it was just person to person I got to see what it is like to believe Mm. Uh, on a visceral level. And then reinforcing it even greater was my um, visceral love of the music that began when I was a child. With your dad going to the clubs. Yeah. And that always felt to me like more than entertainment. I mean, I call it now a religious experience. I I didn't call it. I, I didn't call it that then, but I, I sort of now know that going to a, a concert to hear Billy Holiday was a religious experience, that, that she was channeling mm-hmm. some um, incredible um, pain, and she was transforming the pain into beauty. And that transformation of pain into beauty um, is a godly, uh, divine act. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and it just isn't, oh, that sounds good or that feels good. That's transformational, in it, other words. It is. Yeah, I mean, that's going from the human to the divine. And so the older I got and the more I thought about my musical history and my um, experience of listening to music, the more I understood that I have been groomed or I have been tutored by preachers Mm -hmm. who 
were whose names are, you know, Charlie Parker or Ray Charles or Ella Fitzgerald or whoever. I mean, these were my preachers. They were sort of uh, ministering to me and um, softening my heart and because they were vulnerable in the expression of their art form, I was becoming more vulnerable as a human being. And, and they saw and again, that. It, they yeah, noticed and that again, within you. Right. And it took a long time. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I mean because, because of all the cultural prejudices, you know, that I have and because of my inclination to identify so closely with my uh, origins, you know. And um, also I didn't want people to get mad at me. I didn't want my wife or my father or my children to think, He's gone crazy. He's become a Christian. And, and, and then the other challenging thing became, what kind of Christian am I going to become? And so I spent years reading books on Christianity. And if I read a book in which I felt the author was sort of misguided, I would want to throw out all of Christianity and say, oh, well, this I can't be a Christian because this guy looked at Christianity like this. Whereas my ultimate conclusion was there's a lot of ways to embrace Christ and there's a lot of ways to understand Christ. And um, a lot of people who call themselves Christians, I don't even see as being Christians. <laughs> I mean, in my view of Christianity. So that took a long time. And, 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 um, Everything in me didn't want to embrace it because of the challenge. I mean, I was also scared that would I be looked at as a proselytizer, which I'm mm-hmm. not. I mean, I, I, I don't like uh, proselytizing. I, I, I think it's often a form of ego. You have to believe what I believe, and I'm not really going to open up my heart to you and listen to you. I'm going to talk to you and tell you what I think and why you should think the way I think, whereas I think... Our main job as human being is to listen to each other and yes. then figure out, can I offer words that will make any difference to this person? Uh, and so um, I was scared that I would be viewed as a prophetizer and, uh, you know, um, I'm not in... Um, I won't be, and um, I think of anything, my relationships with my wife and my children and my grandchildren, you know, you know, all of whom are Jewish and continue to practice Judaism has probably improved uh, just because I think I might be easier to get along with, or like you say, I might have found a softer uh, uh, place to uh, um, land, mm-hmm. and I don't have to pontificate. Um, and I don't like pontifications. I, I, I mean, even in the field of, of my expertise, you know, I try not to pontificate. I just try to be a student. And because the people that I know something about, you know, Marvin Gaye or Ray Charles or Aretha Franklin, there's a whole lot of people in the world who know things about them that I don't know. And they have things to teach me about them. And so, you know, I try to avoid being a sort of know-it-all, which is a, a, a um, which is a form of ego that I find 
repellent. So I am scared that I will be that. I mean, I, I my <laughs> at seventy five. Um, yeah, think? I, I, yeah, I, I am that. still scared because my uh, um, dad was pretty much a know it all, and 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 I still, you know, part of me still is scared. I'm going to turn into him as much as I uh, loved him so much about him was um, repugnant to me. and um, But I don't think I'm as worried as much about that as I used to be. Um, but there are times when I'll be out and I'll start talking and I'll say, well, that's my dad. Just That's the kind of thing he would say. And then I have to pull back and say, well, maybe I'm wrong or maybe I don't know what I'm saying here and all that kind of stuff. So the relationship you had with your dad was so interesting to me. You were so close at times, and yet there were moments it was fraught with tension. He was yeah. a Marxist atheist who loved music and writing, and he was supportive of you, yet at times critical because you were a ghostwriter. Right. And then you were also able to set boundaries with him and take distance when necessary. And in the yeah. end, when he passed away, you were you had that peace. You had that, that yeah you know, moment of, to me, like things are okay. Like things are as well, they need to be. I would only add to that because this is sort of interesting also. I would add a little bit to it. I, I, I can't remember how much of this I put in the book, but when my dad died, he died at 95 and a half and I was there and spent the last couple of weeks with him. And I thought we had everything resolved. And we did talk about, you know, it, there was a lot of closure and we had a good relationship the last 20 years of his life, but it's still, uh, it, it's still really, uh, uh, uh messed me up. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, because, you know, my dad was my heart for better or for worse. He was just my heart. And when you, when a person takes your heart away, um, there's anxiety. So, I mean, after his death, I went through a really hard time. Um, uh, I wanted to call him. I want to get in touch with him. I, cause you know, we talked every other day and he knew all the details of my life. And so I did go through, uh, lots of anxiety attacks and, you know, finally wound up going to, a, a hypno, uh, therapist to try to chill out. Um, and it, it was more anxiety than I had ever anticipated. So, you know, I thought I had it covered, but I didn't. And, uh, I mean, ultimately, um, I walked through the fear and the pain, but I think it was, it was also like, um, a pretty much like a primal fear, like, you know, you're, dad is between you and sort of death and now he's gone and now it's you and death. And so, and, and, uh, uh, he was protective in a certain way in my mm -hmm. life. And he so losing him, yeah. yeah, losing him was much more powerful, uh, had a much more powerful impact on me than I had ever anticipated. It was such a significant loss and the deep grieving that you described yeah. going through, even contemplating relapsing after having been yeah. sober, you know, yeah. that it really put you in touch with your deepest fears and you did yeah. move yeah. through them. Yeah. And of course, that's an important thing because with the whole relapsing is really about, I can't take this pain. Let me yeah. sort of numb it out. Let me, uh, mm, 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 Anesthetize myself so I don't have to. And and what I really had to do was kind of 
walk through the fear and the pain. And I think that's what we all have to do. And if we don't, if we drink away the fear or we act out away the fear, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't go away. It, it just goes, you know, it's like dirt under the carpet. You're ultimately going to choke on it. And, um, and that same cycle comes back. Yeah. And the same well. cycle comes back and, and the drink or the sexual acting out, it just doesn't work. It just makes things worse. I mean, there's a temporary, there's a temporary thrill, uh, which is, uh, important because, or else you wouldn't really want to do it. So you are thrilled and you are high. But it's interesting that it, it, as I talk, I'm thinking, you know, we use the word high. And what's interesting about high is that you're above where you should be. I mean, mm. in other words, where you should be is in the sort of middle of the mix, the middle of the pain, the middle of the confusion, yeah. the middle of the anxiety. And when you're high, you're sort of... Um, risen above it, but, and, and, uh, for a, for a while you think that's great mm -hmm. because you are high, but then you come down and it's worse and it's um, worse and beating yourself up and the shame and, and I've been and in shame is a huge, he, yeah, deal. you talked about that. Deal. I mean, shame is a, major component of the whole thing. And I think so many of us are addicted to shame and, and, uh, shame, I think is toxic, you know, I mean, it's, 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 um, and it, anyway, I just, so, yeah. No, I, I like mean, that aspect. I've been in recovery from cocaine addiction for the last yeah. 10 years. And so I related to, for me, it came down to just stop doing what caused me to do things that made me feel so bad. Mm -hmm. And um, cause though it numbed me out in a positive way, it also numbed me out from really good things mm -hmm. and to have to live life on life's terms. Sometimes it's hard, but I'd rather. Mm -hmm. And I saw you saying that in, in your own way when you got clean and now you're yeah. able to write four and five books at a time. I mean, yeah. prolific and be yeah. engaged and present and just yeah. the gift you gave yourself through your recovery. Yeah. Well, cocaine is also, I mean, there was a time when I was, um, hooked on cocaine and cocaine is, 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 I mean, every drug is interesting and it's got its own properties. Um, and I was, um, a pothead as well. And I, and I haven't, you know, had a joint since 19, I think 1990, uh, 90, right. The end of January. Yeah. And, and again, I'm for the legalization of pot. So I'm not, but I mean, I can't, I respect it. I, uh, use it and I'm an addict so I cannot do it in any sort of moderation but I do have respect for it I mean I think it's got medicinal properties and it's got a lot to it and and um, whereas cocaine was different for me I, I cocaine it, it goes back to what we're talking about being high I mean the high of cocaine is so much higher than it is with pot, at least it was for me. But it also seemed to um, separate me from my uh, um, soul. And in it was such a um, such an ego booster, you know, in, in, in not a pretty way. Now, it's energizing and, you know, you can go, 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 go for hours and hours and hours. But it is, it, 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 it was all about me, you know, and I'm the greatest mm -hmm. and I'm the thing, the thing, the thing, and, you know, so I found it, um, 
an especially pernicious mm-hmm. um, drug, um, uh, and uh, am happy that I haven't used it in all these years. Same here. So, David, what is next for you? Do you see, like, in kind of concluding, where where do you go from here? I mean, I well, was excited, I, nervous I, to interview you. You're a master interviewer, and but I just told myself, shut up and listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And yeah. uh, uh, I am um, doing what I always do, which is basically um, continuing my recovery, which is, I think, all about trying to get closer and ultimately uniting with God, you know, embracing God closer and closer and being aware of the fact that, you know, God is in me and and God is everywhere and God is everything. So my mystical journey continues, you know, and hopefully that informs my work and my work um, continues. And I'm more committed to ghost writing than ever. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't want to write a biography and I have no plans to write another book about myself. And one of the beautiful things about my job is that every new book I do is a new person. So I get to learn Mm -hmm. about them and hear the music and how they speak and try to look deep into their heart and help them what they cannot do by themselves, which is to write a book. So, you know, I feel a little bit like, um, a shoemaker or a dressmaker, you know, I've learned to make a dress. I've learned to make a pair of shoes. Um, I think I'm good at it. I like the way I write. Mm-hmm. I like to type. I like to see the words um, sort of dancing across the screen. So, you know, I just try to, you know, stay healthy and exercise and, and uh, because I can't, I'm doing really what I am love and, and I just want to keep on doing it. And, and, and for, um, um, in a beautiful way, the people that I'm working with now all have very powerful relationships to God. Mm-hmm. And though they're, I'm not, um, doing, I'm not writing what you would call traditionally religious books, I am um, dealing with people who, like me, are very involved in their relationship with the spirit. So that makes me very happy. Um, And so it's a continuation of the God groove. You know, in other words, the God groove is basically the heartbeat. You know, that's the groove that keeps us going. And I feel like I'm still on that groove. You are. David, thank you for taking your time today. It's been such a pleasure. I appreciate your taking the time and thank me for and uh, thank you for the insight about my soft landing. I'm going to I'm going to uh, remember that every time I get uptight. You're welcome. That just came oh. very clear to me. Giving yourself oh. a soft place to okay. land now. Thank yeah. you again. You're welcome, David. Take care and bye-bye. That concludes my show today with David Ritz, author of his memoir, The God Groove, A Blues Journey to Faith. Thank you for joining me, y'all. Come back next week and I'll bring you another guest.
All my love. Bye-bye. Indeed, listening is the new reading. With Audible, you can listen to an unlimited amount of books at home, in your car, at the gym, anywhere on the go. With over 180,000 audiobooks to choose from, for you, the listener of All Things Therapy, Audible is offering you a free audiobook download and a month-long subscription for you to try them out. Visit audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy now. Enjoy. Do you want to help yourself and friends find a purpose in life? Then you are in the right place and be a part of the crowdfunding campaign of patreon.com forward slash all things therapy with Lisa Tahir as she initiates a one-on interaction with inspiring authors, healing experts, and spiritual directors. Join the League of Heroes of this generation by contributing your quota between a dollar up to a hundred dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash all things therapy. Let's make the world free of suicide, poverty, depression, and in all, make the world a better place for everyone. Listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir. Only- 